Hello, and welcome to the Poo 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 Podcast. This is Lisa Mayer, the Maine Rebbitson, and this memory is about a creature in my life who loved unconditionally, Teddy the Pomeranian. Neither of us had grown up with a dog. My mother was too allergic, and his mother was too religious. But we knew we were going to be splitting up, and our guilt overwhelmed our common sense. Our sons were going to hate us forever, but maybe if we got them a puppy? Our younger son, Aaron, had a best buddy with a Pomeranian, a tiny, puffy thing, treated by the family like a favorite child. Apparently, there was nothing like the love of a dog, unconditional, guileless, and sloppy. Wait till you experience a homecoming at the end of a long workday, gushed the palm's mom. Such a running to the door and a wagging of the tail and a jumping up and a bestowal of sweet goofy licks, a balm after a hard, unloving day at the office. Not to mention what great exercise you will get from walking him and how it will become a whole social thing because you will meet other dog owners and everyone knows dog owners are the best people present company included. All that spring when I would pick Aaron up from school after play practice, he would get the whole cast to sing Pomeranian, Pomeranian, Pomeranian in ascending notes and volume. My heart was melting and softening like butter you take out of the freezer when you have to make a cake. I don't remember if we passed the place on our own, since this was pre-Google. Breeder's Pick, it was called, a fancy pet store in fancy Scarsdale. I do remember that it was our second stop of the evening. The first was the shelter, and they didn't have any small dogs, or so they said. They wouldn't let us into one particular room. I found out later that the manager of the shelter had separation issues, like she wanted to keep all the dogs. Meantime, once inside, Aaron saw him right away, third cage from the left, top row. Aaron says, I got this wrong. The palm saw him right away, second boy from the mother. The owner, Summer, took the puppy out and created a little play area for him and Aaron right in the middle of the store. The cuteness was unbearable. After an hour of this, during which I was also invited into the play area and held the 3.7-pound ball of sable fluff up to my face to stare into the dark chocolate eyes, whereupon he brazenly licked my nose and then pulled back and cocked his head at me, whereupon I went, Oh! which Aaron heard, which of course meant that I was a goner. To my surprise, Aaron didn't complain when we left the pet store that Thursday evening. He wore a face of beatitude. We didn't even talk about it much when his dad came home. The next morning, though, he looked at me as he boarded the school bus. So you'll pick me up from school and we'll go right back, he said, matter-of-factly, knowing full well I knew exactly where we were going right back to. And then the kicker. I promised the palm. As soon as we walked in, Summer summoned her little helpers to take the palm out back for a little shampoo. She got out the papers. She offered a little discount, too. It seemed unseemly. I called Robert. You'd better come, I said. I think we're getting a Pomeranian. Yeah, he said. 
He was there in fifteen minutes with our older son, Zachary. He thanked Summer for the discount and wrote out a check. I'd never see him do anything like it before. And then, on cue, Summer's little helpers came out, holding the puppy up for presentation like an offering to the gods. His sable fur shone soft and glittery. His eyes sparkled. His little fox ears stood at attention. His tail fluffed upwards, exploding over him like golden fireworks. And he was wearing a little rainbow neckerchief. Summer smiled sweetly and smugly like she probably had a hundred times before and looked down. Boy, was she good. Robert was dispatched to the pet store with a list of necessities. Aaron wouldn't let the palm out of his arms. We arrived home, and within minutes, our next-door neighbors came over with their yellow Labrador, Sonny, who sniffed and nuzzled our new family member, who as yet had no name. I was in shock, but the Sabbath was coming. I set the table just as Robert came home and set up the little black training cage with the cushy pillow. There were now dog cages and dog leashes and dog food and dog fur everywhere in my life. It was intoxicating. More people came over after dinner to see the mayor's new puppy. Where did all these dog people come from? Now I can Google. 70 million pet doggies in the U.S. One out of three households have a dog. So many Michiganers. Were we Meshuganas too? All Sabbath long we tried out names. I think it was Zachary or I who suggested Webster, and it stuck. But then Sabbath was over, and Robert recalled his father's dog growing up, Teddy, named for great-grandpa Mayer's favorite president, Teddy Roosevelt. And Teddy it was. Zachary and Aaron embarked on the all-important house training, It's a whole thing. The puppy stays in his little cage for about a month if you're not directly playing with him. You can't let him walk around the house. Early in the morning, you have to schlep yourself out of bed, schlep him out of bed, carry him to the door, and take him outside to make sure he pees there and not on your white oriental carpet. When he does pee on the white oriental carpet, you don't hit him with a rolled up newspaper, God forbid. You say, no, no, Teddy. And then you put him back in his cage and spend the next 20 minutes crouching over the carpet with the pet stain and odor disinfectant. Later that night, when you are tired and want to go to sleep, you will schlep yourself out of bed, schlep him out of bed, carry him to the door and take him outside to make sure he pees one last time. If and when he finally gets the idea, you can collapse the cage and store it in your basement next to the old bouncy seat, extra saucer, and sleepy time, (laughs) damn it, swing, and let the dog have the run of the house. A few months into it, you will notice dead grass polka dots on your lawn. We called those the lazy man's pea spots for when we just stood on the porch and watched him do a quickie on the grass. Thing was, Teddy was officially Aaron's, but apparently he imprinted on you, Lisa, a knowledgeable dog owner told me, which meant that Aaron had a dog, but I really had a dog. It was like having an attractive and furry camper that would not stop playing follow the leader. I would go upstairs, tip, 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 he would go up the stairs. I would go down the stairs, tip, 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 
he would come down. I would open the door of the bathroom, and there he was, waiting for me. And they were right. There is nothing like coming home to a dog. The boys still talk about the time I had to go away for a few days for work, and when I opened the front door and Teddy saw me, he jumped up three feet and spun around in mid-air, landed, and did it again. I would have busted out laughing if I weren't already crying for being so happy to see him. Yes, I fell in love. I'd hold him under my arm, a fluffy accessory, as I opened the door to our new Honda Pilot, dented already because it was freakishly large and difficult to park. I would plop him on my driver's seat, and he would inch over just enough to let me slide in. When half my tush was in, he would get into position, pause up, hind legs loaded, so that the moment my entire tush was in, he could leap onto my lap. And what's with dogs in car windows? It's not like he learned it from any other dog. I figured out how to keep my left hand curled around his soft belly, holding him down as he stuck his head out, barking and barking and barking at every other dog he saw. The world could be going to hell, but if there's another dog... If you have a dog, if you've always had a dog, these things are nothing new. But I was seeing the world through his eyes, how high the curb was, how deliciously smelly the sidewalk was, how fast cars zoom around a corner and might not see a tiny puppy, an hors d'oeuvre, as our friend Michael called him. Well, a year went by, and we did split up, and the dog, like the boys, were in joint custody. In addition to his life in Scarsdale, with his friend Sonny, with whom he used to spoon on the couch when we went next door for Friday night l'chaims, and his other buddies from the dog gathering behind the school at 6 p.m. every evening, where I would shep such naches from how cute but also beautiful he looked when he ran, he had a New York City life. Once I had to bring him to Robert's apartment, a porto palm, his little grey travel case with the mesh cover. Teddy led the way. He knew which side the elevator opened up, and when we got off, tip, 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 he turned right and stood before the apartment door, announcing himself with a little sniff. Meantime, Srilli had gotten Kazoo, a little black poodle, and the two became brothers in our first house together in White Plains. They had this weird thing they did together a lot. Teddy would start it. They would put their mouths side by side and growl in a friendly way and then fake bite each other while they wrestled. I can still hear the sound. I tried it with Srilli. It was a little fun. I think Teddy's age of Camelot came when the twins hit two. We had moved to Englewood, New Jersey, by then so Aaron could go to Heschel High School. I brought a bright blue and red kitty table and chair set and set it up by the den and by the TV. The twins noshed constantly. They would schlep little cookies or crackers or waffles or bagels back and forth from the kitchen to the den, their hands exactly level with the snouts of the dogs. The dogs would sidle up and so dexterously relieve them of their snacks that when the twins finally toddled over to the red and blue chairs, plopped down and opened their hands to feast, they would find them sticky and empty. Wah! And then came the doggy dark ages. We moved to North Bergen, New Jersey, and into an old historic shul. The twins' bedroom was the toy room, which made them feel lucky. Rabbi Sruli and I slept in the basement apartment with black mold growing silently in the closet, which made us feel sick. 
We shared a kitchen with the synagogue housekeeper, Rosario, who made no secret of her hatred. The only member of the family she liked was our tortuga, our turtle, who slept in his terrarium in the toy room with the twins. She would feed him tomatoes, even though we begged her not to, that it wasn't good for the turtles, and when they rotted, it made the whole room stink. She spared not one nice word for the perritos locos, who were kept on long leashes, tied to our bed, so they couldn't destroy the shul. They were miserable. They weren't the only ones. The chapel was ten feet away from our bedroom, and on Shabbat morning we couldn't sing El Adon loud enough over their barking. And, of course, right before Musaf, the final Saturday morning prayer, as Rosaria would start to take the saran wrap off the egg salad and load up the cart with the cherry tomatoes and cut-up peppers, the herring, the challah, the cookies, and the seltzer, and push on over to the Hudson room, which is what they called the depressing cinder block kiddish room, the tang in the air would make Teddy crazy. He was my dog. He loved food. A few times he busted free and would show up in the chapel, barking his short, impatient barks with that little sniff in between, just as the pompous president was announcing the impending kiddish in the Hudson room. This caused, caused an uproar and threats of canicide, and also infuriated the hypocritical Myra, who sat in the back with her seeing-eye dog Coco. Teddy was uninvited, unwanted, and unwelcome. Coco had had an aliyah. Teddy got his revenge, though, directly next to the plaques touting the givers to the annual fund, adjacent to the walls of benefactors, and right on the beige carpet, underneath the generous sponsors of the capital campaign, Teddy made his donation to the synagogue. As part of the cleanup, our beloved congregant Robin offered to take him for a bit. I was torn but grateful. Kazoo was out of his mind with loneliness. The resulting quiet in the shul was surreal. Our dark joke, what will we write on Teddy's tombstone? Here lies Teddy, he has finally stopped barking, suddenly seemed unseemly. And then Kazoo got lucky. Our move to the most wonderful congregation in magnificent Maine was one of those moments Surly and I will look back on with mutual admiration for each other's sense of adventure and prescience. At the time, it was crazy. From Teddy's perspective, it was heaven. He ran around our new house with the woods in the back and barked at all the squirrels, hopped up the stairs to his new cushy pad right next to my side of the bed, and did that thing with Kazoo on the new tobacco-colored couch that we purposely did not pay too much money for. He set himself a splendid hideout under the dining room table, the wood floor cooling his fluffy butt. When he sensed us eating anything with a bone, he would signal Kazoo, his consigliere, with the longer legs, and together they would wait till we left the table, even if just for a moment. Kazoo would jump up, grab the bone off a plate, and dutifully bring it down to Teddy, who feasted. Talk about a stakeout. I don't know what Kazoo got out of this arrangement, but he never complained. And then, when it would start to snow, you know, around August 31st, he would throw himself into the foot-high drifts, rolling around on his back, his gorgeous fur coat and thick undercoat white with snow, his rabbit-like hind legs jerking around in delirium. When we went back to visit New York, 
Teddy and Kazoo bunked with new friends who had five other hounds, a doggy door to a fenced-in backyard, soft doggy beds in every corner of the house, and fancy treats that resembled hot dogs served every few minutes. I was surprised each time they wanted to come back home. Aaron was living with us that third summer in Maine. I had helped him get a job at the nutrition center, and he became quite the moral vegetarian, planting gardens with at-risk youth every day and cooking farro and quinoa and sweet potatoes every night. He would work Teddy through his roster of tricks, sit, roll over, good Shabbos, offer his paw, and Aaron made Teddy the favorite subject of his videos and vines. And then, one morning... Teddy lay down next to his doggy dish in the kitchen. His mouth, usually lush and pink, was dry and yellow. I poured some water into him and called the vet. Come at two, he said, and I went off to work. At noon, Surly called me. He's gone. Gone. Just like that. I picked up Aaron from work, and when he saw Teddy lying still under the towel, Surly had covered him with it. He had lost it. He wept. He wailed, he wept, uncontrollable sadness. He gathered Teddy in the towel and held him until Zachary came up from Boston. Zachary chose a tree in the woods behind the house and dug a small grave. I wrote his name on a piece of slate. We took Kazoo with us. The twins talked about how much they loved him and how much he barked. I don't remember what I said, and Surly sang the song he used to sing when he would try to get Teddy to pee, and Teddy was stalling. Aaron didn't say a word through his weeping, but gently placed his dog in the earth. We said a prayer. I remember feeling happy that Teddy's last resting place would be in his wintry and beloved Maine. Surly and I looked at each other over the grave. No more dogs, we swore silently to each other. When Kazoo goes, that will be the end. Ten and a half. Ten and a half years, that's all we had. And with all the words I said to him... Good dog, good dog, Teddy, good Teddy, no bark, Teddy, sit, Teddy, come, Teddy, what am I going to do with my life, Teddy, no bark, Teddy, mommy loves you, Teddy. It was almost impossible to realize that he never said one word to me. Not one word. I brought him into my life, and he lived every moment of it right next to me. He slept by my bed, and when I slept downstairs during the last year of my marriage, he sat in the kitchen while I cooked. He followed me, raising and lowering he, the raising and lowering of my fork with his head as he begged me for food at the table, watched me when I wrote on the computer, jumped up with enthusiasm when I jiggled my keys, demanded that I open the window when we got going in the car, found his spot under the dining room table in each new house as Surly and I moved to White Plains, New York, to Ocean City, to Englewood, to North Bergen, New Jersey, and then to Auburn, Maine. Maybe it's not seemly to mention, but he would spin around a few times before settling into a ball to poop, and I can tell you about every single place I walked with him and about all the other dog owners who became our friends simply because we were doing the same doggy thing and how my friend was right. Dog owners are the best people. Every Hanukkah, I still retell the miracle of how Teddy managed to open ten gold mesh bags of chocolate gelt coins and open every single chocolate coin without the use of opposable thumbs and eat them all and not even get sick. But I think most of all, the miracle of dogs is that they are made out of love. And we are made meshuggah 
crazy from it. It stares you straight in the face with chocolate eyes, brazenly licks your nose, then cocks its head. We start to try to earn it, the love. We become nobler, more compassionate. What does that refrigerator magnet say? Be the person your dog thinks you are. I will always know that I had unconditional and unlimited love from a beautiful creature who imprinted, luckily for me, on me. And I will always be grateful for that Friday in the pet store that I went with my heart and not my head. I will always love all animals more because of how much Teddy loved me. My heart will always skip a beat when I see a Pomeranian. And I will always measure a part of my life in dog years.